0: i want to take you to John, the feeding of the 5,000. Chapter 6, John chapter 6. And after some time, Jesus crossed to the far side of the shore in the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Then Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was about to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread to feed each one of them. Just have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew's, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far can they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed those who Seated as much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather up the pieces of the leftover; let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces in, of the five barley loaves left over for those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world and come after him to make king by force, withdraw again to the mountain by himself. Today we're in the book of John. Now you may not or may not be aware of this, but John's gospel is what's called a selective gospel. John himself said basically that in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 32, Jesus before many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing that you may have life in his name. He does not record the events in the life of Jesus that do not help him fulfill his purpose. So, between the healing of the paralytic in John chapter five and the feeding of the five thousand, you have many events that took place. Some of which are mentioned in Luke chapter six, verse one, and actually through nine, ten, actually, and then Mark 3:1 through six thirty. During this period the Lord preached the Sermon on the Mount he record, that's recorded in, in Matthew 5 and through 7. Then he gave the parables of the kingdom that's Matthew 13. The feeding of the 5,000 was such a miracle of such magnitude that is recorded in all four gospels a great multitude had been following Jesus for several days, listening to his teaching and beholding his miracles. And Jesus had actually tried to get away from them, to rest. But the needs of the crowd pressed on him. And then that's recorded in Mark chapter 6, verse 31 through 34, if you want to check it out. And because of his compassion, he ministered to the multitude in three different ways. Now once again, Jesus did many miracles but only two are told in all four Gospels. One is the miracle of the resurrection and the other is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The question is, why are these two the only miracles listed in all four Gospels? Do any of you recognize this? This is the symbol for McDonald's. Now if the kids were here, they would have shouted it out, but you're all way too quiet, too nice today. You know, she's gonna give them sugar downstairs, you're in a lot of trouble. See, the first McDonald's was opened in 1940. Many restaurants have gone head to head with the golden arches, but but I'm pretty sure McDonald's really doesn't have anything to worry about. Now, I did some research online and discovered that McDonald's is the largest owner of retail property in the world with a little over 14,000 restaurants just here in America and 36,000 restaurants all over this world. Once again, they are the largest owner of retail space in the world. McDonald's is also the largest purchaser of beef, of pork, and of potatoes, and it is the second largest purchaser of chicken. And I think, personally think it's Church's chicken, restaurant buys more than they do, but I didn't bother to look it up. One site I visited asked if there's anything more universal than McDonald's. The answer they answered was no. The golden arches are the most recognized symbol in the world. The restaurant provides food for people in 119 countries. Now, for you trivia lovers, a number one is always a number one throughout the world. Their number ordering system is the same throughout the world. So even if you don't speak the language of a foreign country, like I'm going on a missions trip, right? You can order food at McDonald's. You can say, oh no! Or you can hold up a finger, you can order. And you're going to know what you're getting. That's kind of cool when they're on a missions trip. Everywhere you go, the golden arches are unmistakable. The moment you see them, you know what they stand for. One of their advertising schemes, when I was a young kid, right? Is they put on their sign, over one million served. Now, do you know it's closer to 100 million served? But one of the most famous eating places in the world actually only served one meal. It is said that it served 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, in one setting. It took place on an isolated hilltop just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it didn't cost those families one penny to eat in the presence of Jesus. The miracle must have made a deep impression on the disciples for them to include it in all four gospels. And that is true. But there's something even more true. For you. I want you to understand this today. You see the gospels were written down by mortal men, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they were authorized by the Holy Spirit. That means God felt, God felt that these two miracles were the most important miracles that Jesus did on this earth. And if these were the most with the only two miracles listed in all four Gospels, there's got to be a reason. So let's start by examining what's taking place here in our story. Matthew tells us that the crowds followed Jesus on foot from the towns. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark tells us, that Jesus had compassion on because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus spends the day teaching and helping and healing, and before long, it's getting late. Can you got that picture in your mind, right? So Jesus asked Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people might eat? Now, one preacher I read had a really interesting take on the conversation. Philip was the bean counter of the group. I understand that. I'm a bean counter, right? And he was a numbers man. And according to Philip's calculation, there wasn't enough money to buy all the food these folks could eat. That's 400 denarii. There's more than a year's wages. They couldn't do it. And while Philip was doing the math, Andrew was out hunting down another solution. And Andrew, his contribution was fairly pathetic, to be honest with you. A child's lunch of five loaves, They're they're small loaves, about the size of my fist, right? And two fish. And as I read this, that take of that discussion, I noticed something that you need to know. Jesus didn't laugh or make fun of either one of these disciples. These men were practical men who grew up with practical solutions. They lived in small worlds, hemmed in by limited imaginations. And do you think Jesus realized that? Of course he did. Jesus fully understood the kind of men that he was teaching. And that's precisely why he asked Philip, what are we to, where are we gonna go buy bread for these people might eat? Then that's John 6, 5. Chapter six, verse five. And he, he asked it so all the others can hear because everyone knows Philip's got a solid head on his shoulders, he's the bean counter. And they will know he'll come up with a sensible answer. So Jesus deliberately asked Philip because he wants all of them to think. He wants them to understand the impossibility of what he's about to do. Sometimes you need you need to know. He draws their attention to the problem. And then he sets them up. He gives them an impossible problem and asks them how they would solve it. He has the the disciples, he gives them an order to sit down and the multitude sit down in company of 50s. There's an order here. Then he has the disciples hand out food to the crowd. And when everyone has had their fill, then the disciples pick up the leftovers. How many baskets of leftovers? 12 baskets. That's a basket for each disciple. It's kind of like a souvenir. Something they can take home and put on the mantle. Something to remember this miracle by. Now, what does this story mean to us sitting here today? And this is important. And this is important. First, it was a Test. John chapter 6 verse 6 tells us Jesus said this is this. He said this to test Philip. Did you catch that? Jesus gave a test. Once in a while God is going to put you through a test. It's kind of like that thing back in school where you received a grade for something, right? Some of you remember that, right? It isn't like that. This this is the test where God kind of sets you up. He puts you in the position where you have to make a decision, where you have to make choices. And there's a reason. It moves us. It moves us. Now how am I gonna get you here? You gotta bear with me why Think how I'm going to make this work for you, in your mind. What I find interesting about this test is that Philip really didn't give a great answer. It wasn't an answer of faith. Jesus asked, where are you going to get the food, Philip? And Philip answers, how much the food's going to cost? Now, what is the right answer to Jesus' question? Where are they going to get that much food? Well, that's Jesus. Someone said that Christ does not want nibblers of the possibilities, but grabbers of the impossible. Now, bear with me. I'm going to hit a rabbit trail here. Uh, As some of you are aware, I give my sermon to a Spanish church, and I give my sermon... To a Chinese church. The Chinese church, I sent this sermon to them, and they come back and said this quote has to be wrong. When they were trying to translate it, it he, there's a Chinese house church here in Bismarck Amanda, and they have about 20, 25 people, and so I help them, and it's what I can do to help the kingdom. And he said, that quote can't be right. They gotta be gobblers. See when they were trying to translate it in their mind, Christ does not want nibblers of the possibilities, but he wants gobblers of the possibilities. So this is the only time in your sermon that you get to put in gobblers or grabbers. The, the quote is grabbers, but now everybody look back at the camera, wave your hand, right? It's up there on the sound booth. We did that for the Chinese church. Think about that. They actually take this thing and Make a Chinese; he changes it, but that's okay. Great God, man of God, bivocational, and we help him where we can, and it makes life interesting. Because I don't write my sermons for translation, and they got to translate it. Now I understand the sentiment. Getting back to the sermon: if I don't get back to the sermon, you're all not going to get out of here for that seven o'clock game night, whatever, right? I really do like the quote, though. I can identify with the man what he's trying to say. People should be people of great vision. Grabbers of the impossible. See, grabbers sound much better than gobblers, don't it? People of a mighty faith. But not everyone's ready for that. Sometimes, just like Philip, they just we just don't get it. My point is, God works with the nibblers because God doesn't want them to remain nibblers. He wants to show His power. He, he, he wants to break in our world of possibilities and make peop, us people of the impossible. And the good news for us is that God will set us up once in a while. And if you come short on your answer, if you come up short, God won't laugh at you or make fun of you. What he'll do is work with you because his goal is not to slap you down. His goal is to lift you up. God uses these tests to shape our faith, to put a fire under us and to make us grow. To move us from being a baby in the faith to a mature man or woman of God. And when we miss the lesson, sometimes he reminds us of the lesson, so we'll remember what he's done in our lives. And that is what is happening in this miracle of the 5,000, and then what I'm going to take you to. In talking about tests. Allow me to give you an example with the disciples. Let's remember that they walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They saw the miracles. And if anybody would not blow a test, it should have been them. Right? Well, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 15. You can just listen if you want, or you can read it later. This is where Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus left along the Sea of Galilee, and then he came up on the mountainside and sat down. A great crowd came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the multitude, and many others, and laid him at his feet. We've been through this once before, guys. This is time too, right? The people were amazed when they saw the the mute speaking and the crippled made well and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praised God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have already said they've been with us three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or many will collapse on the way. His disciples answered, this is after the feeding of the 4,000. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, right? His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus said, Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And they took the seven loaves and the fish. And giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up the seven baskets of broken pieces that were left. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus sent the crowd away, he got up into the boat and went into this vicinity of Magda. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a little bit down for the demand of the sign. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come in. You can read this this week, but in verse 16, I'm going to pick up. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. But none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus left them and went away. They showed up. They wanted, the Pharisees, the religious leaders wanted Jesus to do a sign. No. And they went across the lake, and the disciples forgot to take the bread. Then Jesus said to them, "Be careful!" He said, "Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees." And they discussed this among themselves. It is because they did not bring the bread. They're still blowing the test. Can I say that again? They saw the feeding of the five thousand. They saw the feeding of the four thousand, right? And they said they discussed it among themselves and said. Is this because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you not still understand? Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you don't understand? That I was not talking to you about bread. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not talking, he was t- not telling them to be on guard against the yeast He's using bread, but be against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And is a fairly long read, but they blew it. They went across the lake and the disciples even forgot to take the bread. Jesus said, be careful to them. Be on your guard against these Pharisees. They discussed it among themselves because they didn't bring the bread. You just want to slap them. It's a good thing I'm not sitting on the throne. There might have been a lightning bolt coming down at that moment. Now Jesus, the Bible says, "Wherever they their discussion, you of little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five? You know the story. You know what happened. It's Matthew. I can read it to you again. But Jesus expected the disciples to connect the dots. And when they failed to connect the dots, he reminded them what he'd done. You see, God wants you to grow in your faith. Once in a while, he'll do something in your lives to make you grow. What he'll do is he'll set a fire under you so that you'll realize that we serve a God who can do cool stuff. But there's a danger in this, now hear me out, there's a danger in this, because if you don't always having something cool happening, right? you can be fooled into thinking that you really can't be useful to God if you're not having all the cool things happen, the great things happen in life. You see, there are people out there that God has done earth-shaking things in their lives. They've overcome alcohol, they've overcome drugs, God has restored their marriages, God has rebuilt dramatic, He's done fantastic things, He's healed cancer, He's done all these things. And you can become tempted to look at your life and your experience and say, I don't have much to talk about. And that's not true. And here's the reason. Consider our biblical stories today. Jesus feeds 5,000. It's a powerful, wonderful miracle. But the very next day, the crowd searches for him. And do you remember why? They wanted more bread. They don't really want Jesus, they want more bread. Jesus talks to him for a while. Oh, it's a a tough talk. And he tells them the way things are. And and it's hard for them to accept. And they just walk away. That event is recorded in John 6, verse 25 through 670. You should read it this week. It's so sad. It is absolutely so sad. You really should read it sometime this week. John chapter 6, verse 66 tells us that after this, many of the disciples turned their back to no longer walk with him, after he told them the king what's required in the kingdom. As long as Jesus would feed them physical bread, they were content to ignore the real bread of life, which was Jesus. He had done power. Full miracles the layman walked the blind and see and in their presence and it didn't make a bit of difference they just want some bread because miracles have a limited effect on folks the trap for us is to think that in order to save the lost we need to have exciting stories If we ever run out of those exciting stories the thinking goes in the modern world that the crowds will walk away. But that's not true. What will draw and keep people isn't more excitement and miracles and more fireworks or more bread. What will draw and keep people is when we make them hungry and thirsty for Jesus. Now years ago, I've used this, this illustration once a long time ago, but some of you remember it, but it's tough. I like it. There was a true story about a woman who put an ad in the paper, local paper, down, down in Florida, actually. And the ad said, lost 50 pounds selling fat clothes, good condition, size 18 to 20. She was bombarded with phone calls. This was landline time, right? Not cell phone time, landline. Nobody wanted her clothes. All they wanted to know was how she lost the 50 pounds. <laughs> See, without realizing what she'd done, the woman made people hungry for what worked for her. And that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on why Jesus works for us why he's made a difference in our lives. It's all about making people hungry for what we have in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is found in the book of John, chapter six, verse 35. Making people hungry for Jesus is less about the dramatic, powerful stories. It's simply telling people what you know about Jesus. It's so simple. We make it way too hard. There's a powerful message out of 1 John that's always encouraged me. John writes, From which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life made manifest. What we've seen, we've testified to and proclaimed you the eternal life, which is in with the Father and is made manifest to us, and which we have seen and heard and proclaimed also so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now those words are first John chapter one verses one through three. One through four, one through three. In other words, It's all about telling people what you've seen and heard for yourself. It's all about telling people what Jesus has done in your life. You see, it doesn't matter to God. Okay, what matters to God is not the dramatic stories and their shaking occurrences that you've had in your life. God does that stuff in your life to give you a better witness and ability. He does those things to remind us that he can do those things in our lives. And when it's all said and done, God's object is to make you and I Jesus' men and Jesus' women. For example, the disciple Philip is not a central figure in the Gospels. He doesn't do much, he doesn't say much, But there's one passage in the Gospel of John that tells a lot about him. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, I have found him who who Moses spoke of in the law and who the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now that's John chapter 1, verses 40, 45 and 46. Notice Philip believed in Jesus. He was sold out to Christ. He knew who Jesus was and convinced who he was, and he was everything that the prophets had said, and he was said he was going to be, and he was, he was it. In fact, Philip was so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, then he went out to his friend Nathaniel. Excitedly, he told him the Messiah. I just met him. Now notice, Nathaniel Daniel scoffs. The idea of Jesus being someone. Eh, it didn't work. Now, now I want you to notice Philip did not have some big theological response. Do you remember what Philip said? He responds. On, He said, Well, come and see. You don't need a big theological response. No deep theological points, no doing an intense Bible study of the Old Testament prophecy, just simply, you gotta see this for yourself. And that excitement was so obvious that Nathaniel got up and went to see it for himself. I pondered as I studied all week for the best answer I can share quickly with you about the feeding of the 5,000 and why it is so important. And why it's recorded in all four Gospels. And I think the best answer is, well, I'm gonna give you the best answer and it works for me right now. One of the key focuses of this miracle that Jesus performed was to tell people that he was the bread of life. As I was reading this, the Fiend of the 5,000 and all the other gospels, it caught my attention. In Matthew, we're told that Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and, and said a blessing, and then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to give to the crowds. That's Matthew 14, verse 19. And then we have the passage from Luke where Jesus was eating his last meal with his disciples before the crucifixion. It's called the Last Supper. And Jesus took the bread. And when after giving thanks, he broke the bread saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what you did last week if you were here in church. You took communion together. Now allow me to remind you about the worship of the early church days. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread. Then we also have the two men on the road to Emmaus, and remember their story, Jesus had just been crucified, these two men were distraught, discouraged, they are heading home, Messiah is dead, all is gone, and Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. He's just a figure, a fellow traveler, and who hasn't heard about the tragedy of the crucifixion. And they walk together and talk together. Jesus begins to tell them all about the prophets and about the predicted of the death. Then he sits down to eat with them. And Jesus broke the bread, matzah bread, what you had last week, unleavened bread, made without yeast. And we're told that when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now that's Luke 24, verse 30 and 31, if you want to check me out. They saw Jesus in the breaking of the bread. They really, that's where they saw him. That's the purpose of communion that we celebrate, you know. That's our goal. Now many folks take the Lord's Supper and never see Jesus. They don't understand the importance of the Lord's Supper. It's some religious ritual you go through. A little piece of bread. It's kind of, that's also sad. Now, some, if, some of you may not be aware, but I was in the hospital last week, so I did not get participate with you, but I prayed for you. I'm going to start to close by telling you of this man. His name is Robert Tinske. Robert was reared in Judaism. He was a Jewish Jew! No, I mean, he, he studied. At one time, he became so dissatisfied with what he was being taught, he felt like something was missing. So he decided, for the first time, to go to a Christian church in this area. And it was one of our Wesleyan churches, you know, so that's why I know the story, where they take communion every week. Now, we do ours once a month, first week of the month, They chose to do it weekly. The the, the Wesleyan Church lets us do it, if we want. And the practice astounded him. He didn't understand it. He asked some young people sitting near him what it all meant. And this young person faithfully told him the gospel story portrayed in the the cup and the loaf, because they just studied in the Sunday school the month before. You wonder what Sunday school matters? It matters, kid club matters. They study this stuff. This man was amazed, a full grown man, here's a kid. I don't know the age of the kid, but they he's explained the whole story. He was amazed that God so loved him enough to give up his only son to die for him, and that, and then he, there, the wisdom of making this, this living memorial, which we call communion. Shortly thereafter, he was baptized, into Christ and became involved in the church. Actually, eventually he became a preacher of the Gospel in the Wesleyan Church. Robert Tenney became a Christian because he saw Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Now we're gonna go out and have a time of fellowship. There's always some goodies out there. If you're a visitor, you're invited. If you're not a visitor, you're invited too. Um, If you're a visitor, this won't make a lot of sense to you, but I wanted to personally thank everybody for all the prayers and the cards and all that. Um, I got got a couple more doctor's visits. It's going to be like three or four more weeks before they start the the cancer stuff. But I was overwhelmed with your outpouring of love. I I don't know how to word it any simpler, and I want to thank you. See, that's what it is to be a family. You know, a card that just shows up, a phone call. The texts are itty bitty though. The texts are itty bitty. And if you're in the hospital, you gotta wait till you blow them up on your iPad. Uh, but see, we're a family. Everything changes when you become a family. Today we had fun. Our kids let us in worship. they had a blast worship is not always hellfire and brimstone sometimes we can have a blast but we always gotta cover the basics we don't change the message the message changes us we have to be true in to the gospel and the miracle of the five thousand declared to all that he was the Messiah that's Truly, the rest. I am the bread of life. Now let's close. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all the blessings you've given this church. Now we ask that you be with us this week. Give us the strength to be a light to the community. We pray for those in our body that are fighting this flu that's running around. Those who are at home with sniffles and coughs, and we humbly ask that you just help their bodies. Now guide us in our worship. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.